This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. You know it's that place, folks, where we're always having a good time. And just to prove it, a week to Halloween, so we need a favor. Please send in your in-costume Halloween photos, maybe a little description of who's there if you want to share that and you're okay with it, uh, but certainly for our audience so we can describe the costume, what you are, and, and any little detail you want us to add in that description. Just a couple of words will do fine, and we'll do our best to put them out over the air over the next little while and, and comment on them when we are uh, here on the show and put you across Canada, national TV form. So send it to Kelly and Ramya at ami.ca, Kelly and Rumya at ami.ca, and we'll see if we can start getting those up as soon as you people start checking out the costume, making sure it works, or just before you get to whatever function you're going to, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and that would be really kind of cool. Kelly McDonald, I'm at the London, Ontario Home Studio. Brock Richardson, he's at the studio filling in today for us on the program in Kitchener. Halloween costumes are for real at AMI. Like, that is, it is a thing, so... Yes, it will be good to see pictures. What's good to do now is bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkine, as we do this time every week. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Dr. Danielle is joining us with her avatar of a phone and a character in a ponytail today. So one of the effects of globalization is that people have moved around the globe. And with modern times, they have brought with them some animals and plants. And some introduced some non-native plants and animals into the ecosystem as they have never seen before. And today we're talking about an example that's right here in Canada called S Stable Island. Dr. Daniel Junkine comes to tell us all about that. So let's start with where is this place we're going to be talking about today? Well, actually, uh, from what I could find out, um, Sable Island is this kind of unique place island. It's a constantly changing sandbar island located in the North Atlantic. Uh, it's about 300 kilometers southeast of Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the island itself is pretty tiny. You know, it's only about 42 kilometers long, and it's just over one kilometer wide at its widest part. Um, it's home to a large uh, breeding colony of gray seals, and it's an important habitat for a number of species of birds as well. Um, the island is apparently entirely covered in sand dunes, and the coastline is constantly changing because of erosion from the wind and the waves. Um, there are no large trees there, but there are some grasses and some small shrubs, so it's kind of a really unique place. Wow. Wow, what a nice picture of it when you think about what it is, especially for species, and you hope fairly dis you know, undisturbed by, by human behavior. Uh, how did horses get there, Danielle? Well, you know, it's funny because when I got looking into this question, you know, there was a lot of sort of urban myths and legends mm -hmm. and 
you know, and that sort of thing. But um, Sable Island itself has kind of this long and complicated history, and it sits right in the way of those historical shipping routes between Europe and North America. And the area, I guess, there's a lot of like really um, dangerous waters for ships, so it's known for causing shipwrecks. And according to you know some of the stuff I read, various shipwreck survivors over the century have kind of been washed up on Sable Island in the past. Some survived to be rescued, but a lot didn't. And people finally set up lighthouses and a rescue station on the island in the 1800s, and that you know helped to sort of save some of these shipwreck survivors. Um, a small number of people have been on the island permanently for various reasons ever since they set those um, those um, lighthouses up. So the horses there have a lot of different origin stories. And one of the more popular one being that they swam ashore from shipwrecks. But mm. most of the sources seem to agree, though, that they were actually deliberately introduced there by a man named Thomas Hancock. And it, what they think happened was um, the horses are likely the descendants of um, horses owned by the Acadian people um, who lived in, you know, that section of um, what was then Acadia. And they were mm -hmm. deported by the British in the 1700s. And when they were deported, they were forced to leave all their livestock behind. And, you know, some opportunistic people went in and rounded those up. <laughs> And some of them of ended course. up on, yeah. <laughs> some of them ended up on Sable Island thanks to this Thomas Hancock. So apparently, other animals were left there as well: cattle, pigs, foxes, cats, dogs, and all of the other animals died out. And the horses were the only ones that survived. And they've been living there since the 1700s. They eat um, beach pea, algae that washes up on shore, and grass that grows on the island. Um, they've also been added and removed from the island at various times in the past as well. You know, at one time, you know, again, those opportunistic people kind of rounded them up and sold them as working animals or, you know, for slaughter, uh, which is pretty sad. But in yeah. the 1960s, the Canadian government announced that they were going to remove this herd from the island, but there was a massive public outcry. Um, and in response to that, they passed a law to protect the horses there instead. So the population on the island has been increasing. Makes since me then. laugh when I hear that, Danielle. We're going to remove yeah. these. You're what? No, no, no. We were just kidding around. We're going to actually pass a law and protect them. <laughs> exactly. You got to love the winds of politics, eh? Oh, but, boy. So now the island supports, you know, give or take about 500 horses. Um, and it's now a national park managed by Parks Canada. And they regard the island's horses as a naturalized wild population of animals. So while the while their ancestors were domesticated on um, domesticated horses, the horses that are there now are what they call feral. So they're not fed by humans. They receive no veterinary care. People are not allowed to touch them or go anywhere near them. And even researchers, you know, can only photograph them and take samples of droppings and things for their research so you know but their presence there you know is still the source of some controversy actually <laughs> so what is this controversy that you alluded to briefly well you know as in any controversy you kind of have two camps of people so in this case they're the people who want the horses to stay there and then of course the people who don't and if we look at the let's leave the horses there stance first um, Sable Island's horses have become something of a cultural icon for Nova Scotia and to some extent for the rest of Canada too. And, you know, they've kind of captured the imagination and become this symbol of freedom and survival in the face of adversity. 
Um, people have written songs and books about them, and there's all kinds of photographs of them. Um, you know, so they've adapted to the island and have now lived there for over 250 years, and their population is increasing. So they're really much beloved as one of those unlikely success stories, and a lot of people feel they should be allowed to go on just as they have been up until now. The other side of the argument, of course, is that Sable Island horses are an introduced invasive species and that they could be causing ecological damage to the island. And there are also some people who argue that the welfare of the animals is compromised by having to live there. Um, the winters, of course, can be harsh and the life expectancy of the horses there is much less than that of horses in captivity. Um, so, you know, they have some issues like a high parasite burden and the sand kind of, has, um, you know, a lot of dental problems and uh, cause them to starve to death if that's, you know, something that uh, affects them later in life. So there's kind of two sides to the issue. Would you say that there's some basis to these arguments? Well, you know, it's that's a really good question. And, you know, nobody really has any idea what the ecology of the island was like before the horses got there because they just didn't study those things back then. You know, so they really have no idea what effects they've had on the island in the last 250 years either. And, you know, you might be wondering how horses could affect the ecology of a region. And actually, there's a researcher by the name of Dr. McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Lab of Population Ecology. And he's looking into this at Sable Island on behalf of Parks Canada. And, you know, he suggests like, you know, hoofed mammals, um, like horses, they trample the areas they graze and they eat the vegetation down. And so they promote um, the continued survival of plant life that can tolerate this kind of trampling and grazing. So we see that in grassland ecosystems all over the world. I mean, large herds of migratory hoofed animals eat their way from one end of the grassland to the other in a seasonal fashion. Um, so, you know, they trample seedlings of plants that can't recover from that kind of damage, like trees, for example. And But right. grass has no trouble with that. So, I mean, in Africa, they have those huge herds of wildebeest and zebra. In North America, we had uh, the Great Plains were once grazed by bison, you know. Um, so, you know, and in a way, we kind of also do the same with grassy lawns. You know, you don't get trees growing in areas that are regularly mowed. And Dr. McLaughlin also pointed out that these horses act as an agent for dispersing seeds and fertilizer, and we all know what that means. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they can also affect the conditions in the freshwater ponds on the island as well. Um, so they published an article about this in a journal called Veterinary Practice News. And he pointed out that it's possible the horses are benefiting the native species on the island by eating the weedy species that might take over. And, you know, to sort of answer this question once and for all um, about how the horses are affecting the ecology, they're in the middle of what they call the fences in the sand study. So that's going to be pretty cool. So what are they doing with the fences in the sand? Well, basically, they're just fencing off these small portions of land and a few of the ponds with electric fencing to keep the horses out of them for a period of four years. Um, so before doing this, they studied the island's ecosystem as it currently was, so they'd have a basis for comparison. And they're just watching to see how the fenced-off plots change when the horses no longer have access to them. Uh, the results, of course, aren't out yet. They're still working on it, but I'm really excited to see them. You know, I'm kind of hoping maybe they can finally put this controversy over the ecology question to rest. So you, you mentioned that 
there are people with those animal welfare concerns out there with the animal with the horses living out there on Sable Island. So how would that question get resolved, do you think? Oh, you know, that's a really tough question. And I yeah. personally, I, I think it'll continue to be a controversial one. You know, on the one hand, you know, the, the argument that the horses are now considered to be wild animals. Um, you know, Canadians don't worry about the life expectancy of wolves or grizzly bears deep in the forest. You know, they don't expect that those animals will receive veterinary care unless they're captured or end up living in captivity either. Um, they're just wild animals and we leave them to their own devices and let nature's population control mechanisms do their thing, you know. Um, as long as the populations of wildlife are at healthy levels, you know, we're okay, this is good, we're happy. But, you know, since the horses are increasing in population over time, I guess that's something to consider. Um, on the other hand, you know, we have to look at the other side of the argument, which is that these horses are domesticated animals that have gone feral. They would not be there if we hadn't put them there in the first place. And their uh, lives are not exactly easy living on this sandbar in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. And we're responsible for that situation, just like we are for the presence of feral cats. But I suspect since politicians are involved in the decision making, um, I would guess that it's the court of public opinion will eventually decide the answer to the ethics question yeah. of leaving the horses there or not. And it, it you know, always surprises me, Danielle, when you think how the heck out of all the other creatures that were there, how did they last? How did they survive? Yeah, yeah, they were adaptable enough to the conditions there to do it, you know, and that's pretty amazing. They're pretty tough, tough little ponies. <laughs> You know, but I guess the other thing to think about, too, is the effects of climate change are being felt across the globe. There's more severe storms um, and rising sea levels, you know, could eventually be a real problem for a low lying island like Sable Island. So that may play into it as well. We'll have to wait and see. When there's two sides to an argument there, it's always harder to solve the issue when two sides are passionate about their point of view. And so that's sort of where I look at this and say, yeah, it's probably going to take some time. Danielle, thank you so much. Always great to chat with you, and we'll chat with you again next week. Sounds great. Take care. That was Danielle Jonkine, our veterinarian, and she was talking about Sable Island. She will be back next week for another edition of Ask a Vet. You know, you always think about history and how things happen, and that, boy, what a story there. What a bunch of queries that make you say, hmm, and, and things... Again, a lot of them, we'll never know detail by detail, but fascinating. Coming up next on the program on our nutrition chat with Julia Caranches, we talk about vitamin C, what it's good for, and what foods do we find it in? We'll get into that in two minutes. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.